0: Welcome to the New Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Nickel. Hello and welcome. I am so excited for you to meet my guest today. His name is Adam Heche. He's a friend. He'll tell you all about his perspective and some great stories about leadership and management. And one of the reasons I was excited to invite Adam on to talk with you is because he's had an experience in leadership across a lot of organizations from very tiny, very new startups to global technology organizations, uh, to the military, to uh, the dance floor. And we talk a lot about beginner's mind. And he just has had this very rich set of experiences working with humans and with teams. And I am really excited for you to hear from him. So let's get to it. Well, welcome, Adam. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: I am a guy who shows up and tries to engage with what he finds. (laughs) My standard career answer is I'm a Navy veteran who grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm very interested in creativity. That's probably my number one value professionally and I have always tried to find ways to integrate that professionally and so I departed the Navy and wanted to work in tech so I bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco worked at a drone startup for a year worked at Facebook for a few years went back to working for government on a software development team and now I'm working two jobs at the same time one doing government work and then the other working and I guess you would call it consumer insights. Mm -hmm.
0: And you and I have known each other for several years and we are friends and we've also worked together. And one of the reasons I was really excited to have this conversation with you is in part because of your perspective and, and what I've heard you say in the past about your thoughts around, what it means to be a leader, what it means to work with people, and because of your perspective both in different industries and also what you experienced in the Navy and how you've brought some of those insights and stories into your own work life as a people leader and and also, I'm super curious to know too, and we'll talk about this, you know how like what does it mean to manage people when you don't have like direct authority over them, mm. right? Like when you're managing by influence or you're managing a product uh, or you're managing like a, with a customer relationship or you're managing up. And I would be interested in anything that like sparks a thought for you around any of what I've just shared.
1: Well, I don't know if this... I don't, let's see how this let's see how this turns out um i really enjoy the experience of being a beginner and cultivating a beginner's mindset because when you're the new person on a team you tend to see all the flaws easier than people who've been there for a while but but you also see opportunities i think i was working at facebook on a team that had nothing to do with product development per se i was on like the corporate security team that managed you know, the safety of the employees and building security and badges and cameras and such. Uh, Although we did manage, uh, we did manage operations for a product for Amber Alerts when kids go missing. If you're in a certain zip code and you have your settings set as such, when the government issues an Amber Alert, Facebook will do the same thing. And when I discovered this, A, I thought it was amazing. And B, I had an idea, but I thought surely someone has thought of this like already, uh, there's no way this couldn't be the case. So this was in 2016, I discovered this Amber Alert product. About four years earlier, Facebook had bought Instagram and and I thought surely, like, where's the Instagram version? I'm like searching in on the internal database and stuff. And I'm like, it's the same format, you know, scrolling through a feed, there's some level of geolocation. Both companies, although Facebook bought Instagram, both companies have a socially oriented mission and like, I did a ton of research and nobody had thought about it. So I wanted to pitch an idea to, to pursue it. And I, I didn't work in product management. I was not a software engineer. I was at Facebook, not at Instagram. Like there's, there's no way any of this should have been successful, but uh, I get really energized when a vision kind of takes control of me. And like, I'm like, this needs to be a thing or it, you know, how amazing would it be? And then um, I sort of informally started networking in the company. I was doing a volunteer program in East Palo Alto with uh, with kids, kind of like uh, not daycare because they were middle schoolers, but middle schoolers who had time after school before their parents get home. So it was called the Spark Program. And there were some Instagram product managers there, so you know I got to know one of them and sort of asked just gen- ginger ginger questions about how they how their process works for new products and so forth. And I shared this idea and she's like, that sounds really cool. You should meet so-and-so. And so so I'm sort of a natural networker and I really just genuinely enjoy meeting people and hearing their stories. So uh, I met the right people at Instagram. Um, And I also think like when you don't know what you're doing or you're new to something, there's like this youthful energy that you can bring no matter how old you are that gets people like excited. Uh, I forget the name of it, but there's a phenomenon. I think it's like, like the, um, the college student phenomenon, like there's this, like, let's say you're working for like Johnson and Johnson. If you're a college student and you're really excited about some consumer package, good or whatever, and somehow you get the email address of the CEO and you say, Hey, I'm a junior at Cornell. I'm super interested in learning what it's like to be a CEO. We'd be in my podcast. Like you'll get a reply as a, as a, as a college student. And then if you join and you're like a low level assistant product manager and you email the CEO, he's not going to respond to you. So there's this weird paradox where when you show up from a youthful perspective, like people, something about that engages people. And I think it's an energetic thing. And so I, and so I basically put together a pitch deck and I was like, I don't really know crap about pitching. I don't know crap about software, but I'm pretty good at Google and I'm pretty good at Microsoft paint. And I think those are two skills most people can do. So I did open source research, you know, other, other technologies have used Amber Alerts, the the driving application Waze uses it. If there's a kid missing, it'll give you a look. So I did research on software, other, other products. I took screenshots of what they look like. I figured out their functionality. Um, I learned what a wireframe was. Uh, I put together like a wireframe of what it should look like in the Instagram app by just copying like zero technical skill, but like I was I was into it and I believed in it, I guess. And so I put together this pitch deck I, um, and then I moved up the chain. I shared it with some peers and then I shared it with my manager and then I shared it with the initial people I met at Instagram. And by that point it had gotten super polished. I got a meeting with the team at Instagram that does social good and then pitched it. And they were like, they were super excited about it. So for me, it was, uh, sharing, uh, if you're working on something that you really believe in, I think belief, um, you know, the more I learn about Carl Jung and religion and, and mythology and philosophy, and I'm just a dabbler, I'm not an expert in any of that, but the more wisdom I find in these ancient ancient traditions. And uh, I think that like, on like a metaphysical level, having like belief about something that you can't prove is terribly attractive. And it takes a lot of courage because we live in such a science focused society, like you know, don't make any claims about anything until you can prove it, but we're not wired that way as humans. We want to feel caught up in the energy of someone who really believes in something and we want to be a part of that. So by introducing that energy and, um, and then getting feedback from people and like bringing them on my side and being a part of it, you know, people, it seemed like they were pretty attracted to that.
0: Yeah. What I love about what I just heard, there were two things. And one is that when you have this genuine belief and energy, people are drawn to that and actually want to help. Like part of what you Mm. were saying in your story is about not just being a networker, but you kept meeting people who wanted to help, Mm. right? Mm. Because you were in so much enthusiasm and so much belief about it. Mm. Even while you're like, yeah, like there are things I don't know, but this is what I do know. Mm. And this is what I'm excited about. We need to make this happen. So that's one thing. And then kind of related to that, but you said this at the beginning, which was how you have enthusiasm when you're new at something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so key because one thing I see with, you know, with the work I do is that when people are moving into new manager roles or they're, you know, taking on more responsibility there's the enthusiasm but then there's often with it often a lot of fear or anxiety mm. as they realize oh like managing you know managing a team of designers is different than being an amazing designer or realizing like oh there are things that i haven't realized that will be required of me in this new role as a people manager and what i heard from you is that being new is great not knowing everything also great being enthusiastic yeah. and being in belief It all comes together. It all works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope new managers who listen to this are excited by the potential of being a manager because if well-done design is exciting and well-done engineering is really interesting and exciting when you make something super efficient or whatever, you're a manager, you're you're like in this, you have the privilege of being surrounded by amazing humans who, who produce all that magic. So that enthusiasm is like, Is there anything better is there anything cooler now it's you know if you're if you're someone who's drawn to being the individual contributor building the widget of course that's going to be somewhat of a challenge but uh, if you're blind to how amazing human beings are then you're doing yourself a disservice i think by locking out the enthusiasm that should come naturally for being in a management position
0: who has been the best manager you ever had
1: The best manager I ever had was probably my last boss, a guy named Mark, who um, I guess checks all the wickets and things that get me excited. Mm -hmm. He started two different ventures that I was a part of, and both both had no guarantee of success. They were kind of both startup-y organizations. And um, the first was a hardware startup trying to use drones for a humanitarian aid delivery and I get really jazzed around technology and, and like civil society trying to trying to help I don't know make the world a better place to to take a cliche phrase and um, so I met him he won a pitch competition and he just had a really compelling vision and then I stayed in touch with him while I was at Facebook and then he brought me back onto my last team and what was compelling to me about him as a manager is like I think one of the most empowering feelings is when someone hired it's kind of when someone hires you and then they like get out of the way they're like hey we hired you for a reason like you've got my full trust and permission to just go and just go and so it's sort of this like green field, blue sky, blue ocean, like I get, I get to do that. I can just do whatever I want. So I worked for him, like I said, on two different ventures and in both cases, I didn't have a job description. He never once told me what to do. He trusted that I was the kind of person who kind of has a seek and destroy mentality on problems and inefficiencies and drops in morale and stuff like that. And that I naturally want to make things better and make the organization better. So both were small teams. The first was about 10 people. The second, there was like 16 of us. And uh, it just felt, I guess I felt seen like that he saw the best that I had to offer. And then I was able to leverage um, all the skills that I had and all the things that I'm good at in both, in both cases.
0: How did you see him do that? Like what, can you point to something specific? that made you feel seen and trusted
1: well so I first met him at a pitch competition in 2014 and was very intimidated uh because he was working on his PhD he was a software engineer and I was like no way is this dude gonna you know and I was working on my own confidence no way is this dude gonna hire a bozo like me to (laughs) help out and uh as i try as i i was skipping ahead and trying to come up with like advice to future managers and one of them is like just show up don't overthink it don't don't have to have the whole plan figure out just show up and see what happens because i emailed him like kind of just showed up a few months later and was like hey i saw you at this pitch competition i don't know how i can contribute but i'm confident that i can find a way uh will you let me be a part of your team and so we had a phone call he's like he's like yeah sounds good he's like just, there's a lot of challenges and a lot of ambiguity but why don't you just join a meeting and see what you find and i said yeah how about i join the meeting and i'll come up with a list of notes of opportunities and challenges that i see and how i'll plan to go about solving them and if that sounds good to you then we'll just proceed so i jumped on a phone call it was a uh it was a distributed team this was in 2015 and we were uh, doing some crowdfunding for an initial pilot project and i said um Nobody here really has a vision for the crowdfunding campaign. We're not leveraging a lot of, you know, I had just a bunch of different ideas around how to design the campaign and so forth. And I'm the kind of person who, when I propose an idea, I try to make it well thought out and organized rather than like the good idea fairy, which gets a bad rap who just, it doesn't think through ideas. And so I proposed ideas. He's like, this sounds awesome, like go for it. And then, so I came up with a media outreach campaign. I got a speech with Fast Company Magazine. Um, I designed our Indiegogo and like I would come up with a plan and check in with him and he's like yeah looks awesome I'd come up with a plan I would check in with him he would say looks awesome and there's a leadership principle in the in the military called command by negation and what it means is if you're a commander and you're in charge like you fully empower the people under you to like do what they need to And command by negation is like, you let them run with it. And all you do is if you don't want them to do something, then you speak up. But otherwise they have full trust and authority to go forth and execute. So I felt like I had this command by negation relationship. And then on the second team, he got a big chunk of money from the government, had to recruit a bunch of software engineers. And I never was formally a recruiter, but during my own career search, I became familiar with AngelList a little bit with Stack Overflow and some other platforms. And as we stayed in touch, when he started his second venture, he knew that I was a prolific networker, that I knew the career search. I'd interviewed a bunch of startups. He had a team of engineers and technicians and had all these soft skills needs. And the ball was being just dropped left and right. He's like, hey, we need help recruiting. We need help briefing all these VIPs that come in. We need help with all this stuff. I think you're the right person for it. And I want to bring you back. And I didn't think twice and moved back out there. And again, I didn't have a job description. I didn't have whatever. He said, you know, why don't you sit down, see what everyone's up to, see what we're working on, what problems you can identify in your plan. And, and so I did. And I, you know, I built a recruiting pipeline. I probably interviewed 500 candidates and just created systems around how to bring in talent, how to, how to communicate what we were building and so on and so forth. So it was, a little bit open-ended maybe the downside it was is it was probably too open-ended and i did share feedback with him Like, i came in there's a lot that i could do i need to better know your vision and maybe we can negotiate together but with someone who's open and receptive to feedback that's something you can work through
0: thank you for sharing that story i loved i loved all of those pieces and and i think one of the things i hear people feel challenged with is they'll say well I know that I want my people to feel seen and supported, but I don't know how to how to make that be true. I don't know what I need to do in the manager's seat in order to do that. And the story that you just shared was filled with so many of these examples that you know might sound like kind of little things, but actually they're really big things. The idea of giving you all of this room to bring your ideas and just say, yeah, go for it, go for it. And recognizing that, even though if you, you might not have had a formal recruiting background, but you had the core skills. You were good at meeting people. You were had great relationship building and networking skills. You knew where people were and being able to see all of that and invite you in to create something new, which you then did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm interested too, what you shared about the concept of command by negation. What other mm-hmm. stories or what other concepts did you learn during your time in the Navy that have been also applicable in the work that you do now?
1: God, that's a good question. Um, Me six years ago would, I joke, me six years ago would hate who I am now because uh, I'm guilty when I was in the Navy. There was no shortage of challenges and there was a lot of things that I did not enjoy about it, but I think it's easy to take for granted uh the positive benefits of an organization there's a ted talk that i understand turned into a book that went viral called like the checklist manifesto by a surgeon who talks about how outsourcing your thinking into a checklist improves the quality of surgery which is great (laughs) we all want to be on the receiving end of a surgeon who's calm and collected and organized but when I heard it was a TED talk and a book that went viral, I was like, what's the big deal? Like we use checklists everywhere in the military. It's like so common sense because there's so many moving parts and like you, you simply don't have the creative capacity to track everything you need to track. And so there's checklists everywhere and for everything. And what I think I took away on a meta level from the military is how important structure and routine is. And how much structure and routine you can build out, even if you're a three-person startup. Um, Like I said, I'm I'm, I'm working two jobs right now. And so one of them is this small four-person startup. And when I joined, it was just like there was no direction. There was no routine. And although there's an extraordinary amount of ambiguity and we're still building out our sales pipeline, we're still building a product market fit. You can say, hey, every Tuesday, we're having a, a weekly team sync hey, here's going to be the agenda every Tuesday. We're going to go over new leads. We're going to go over current engagements. We're going to go over tech stack development. We're going to see if anybody has any questions. So you can always inject process and routine. And I think, you know, we're we're cyclical creatures. You know, Uh, my niece and my nephews, I'm a, a proud uncle. And like kids need routine. And although we get better at it as adults, if we're removed too much from routine, I think it's really bad for us. And... Uh, routine and structure, you can always build routine and structure. And it doesn't, I totally, I think it's a complete lie that that gets in the way of creativity. Like, no, it doesn't at all whatsoever. In fact, you can, you can make creativity a process. It's like James Altucher says, come up with 10 ideas a day. There's a repeatable process that is always going to be challenging you to be thinking outside the box. So um, I think routine and routine and process and structure and the tremendous value that has on being a human on a team and I think more I have other ideas but I don't want to keep jabbering
0: (laughs) you're here we want to get all of the ideas that are in your brain and get them we can hear them and know them too
1: yeah the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently is and I say this with a little bit of tenderness because I, I guess maybe I'm maybe this is somewhat countercultural to what people talk about nowadays, but the concept of a military and even government, that's an institution philosophically that's been around for a long, long time. A number of religions out there have been around for a long, long time. And while the negative news of both is what makes it on CNN, you know, the, my background is, is Catholicism and it's a faith tradition that I went far away from and I'm slowly returning to and like discovering all this value that I was like blind to. And in the military, when I left, I was very disheartened over a bunch of the negative aspects of it. And I'm certainly not, uh, you can dwell all day on our, on our shortcomings from a foreign policy perspective, but there's these noble aspects and stories that nobody knows about. Like I think the military is the number, the U S military is the number one provider of humanitarian aid in the world. That story doesn't make it to CNN.com. You know, you look at the, the nobler aspects of, of the Christian tradition. It's a tradition that tries to focus on how do you love people better? How do you engage with faith and hope? Uh, How do you allow grace and redemption to enter into your life and people around you? And so, um, What's interesting to me is the parallels between the Christian tradition and pick any pick any religion, really um, pick any tradition that's been around for a couple thousand years and you'll find these trends and think of military and government. And they all have an articulated ethos that kind of describes what's really important to them. And so, you know, in the, in the military, you have like if you're in the Navy, you have like the Sailor's Creed. Um, if you're a Navy SEAL, they have their own specific ethos. You know if you're there's different statements of faith from different religions so like an articulated ethos that guides who you are seems to be ever present in the richer traditions of human organization which is really interesting to me and then like ritual like there's all these fun traditions in the navy like once every two months you do what's called a hail and farewell you welcome the new people and you say goodbye to the old people and it's a very positive experience that wishes people well who are heading out and welcomes the new people and they're like we're glad you're here you're part of the team we're thrilled to have you and I took this for granted and you know you think you know every great religion has these traditions like I believe Muslims pray five times a day in the direction of Mecca and so there's these embodied rituals that are a part of the organization to me that seem to exist across organizations and so I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And a third thing that came up is symbology. Like in your dress uniform in the Navy, you have like a a crest on your hat that's been around for, you know, since the inception of the U.S. Navy. The Royal Navy has the same thing from the U.K., which is where our tradition comes from. That's a little bit different, but it's a little bit similar. Even our adversaries, you look at the uniforms of Russia and China and like they have symbolism woven into what they wear. And so do spiritual leaders across different ritual traditions, they have embroidery and different colors mean different things. And so, um, I think any human who's managing people and leading people, um, I think someone, I think people have a vision maybe of starting a startup and kind of have the long-term game in mind. These are interesting things to think about. And I don't think you can just show up on day one and say here's our symbols here's our ethos let's go but rather it's it's like it's an it's it's small it's kind of like the idea of an inside joke it's like the intimacy there with like a partner or a friend or a small group there's little traditions that kind of naturally emerge and it's like "Ooh, i really enjoy that Ooh, that was really funny uh ooh, we really had a good time grabbing beers after work monday let's do that every first monday And these um, rituals and these symbols and these declarations of what define you somewhat mysteriously emerge from organizations that believe in what they're up to. And so that was a lot, but it's very interesting to me. And I think people who are interested in shepherding humans should keep an eye out for these little pockets of meaning and cultivate that and encourage that because that's what keeps people together, I think, and, and oriented towards something really meaningful.
0: I think that's an interesting idea too, in light of how much the pandemic has influenced how people work. And by that, I Mm -hmm. mean, people are remotely onboarded, they might never meet their team in person. So Mm -hmm. the ritual of how do you bring somebody into our organization when we are fully distributed or the rituals and the, you know, like what does it mean to have symbols or to have ideas that kind of connect us all when we are all over the world. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's, you know, part of what you're mentioning and I think part of the way that functions when you have a physical location that everybody goes to is that you can physically design the space so that everybody's seeing this like the same literal thing when they walk in and it can provide a message or a reminder of why we're all here and what we care about. And Mm -hmm. I think that will look different in a world of work where everything is always distributed. Because I think Mm -hmm. your point too is that humans function in a certain way. We can look across all these traditions and notice some some common functional things about Mm -hmm. how we respond. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for us as people who work together and as in the manager seat, what does that mean for you as you think about how to create a sense of team and connection and cohesion given the parameters mm. of remote working
1: yeah yeah that's a, that's a tough one that's a tough one for sure i think i it, i think what would be interesting would be to think more about other historical examples of organizations that have been distributed like the special forces in the military they have a very distinctly different in some, in some ways, a, different, a distinctly different outlook and attitude. You know, they, they get permission to grow these big old beards and they don't get haircuts. And, and anyway, I would have to think more about that. But that's a really it's a really interesting idea of how to yeah. get people to still feel connected and like they belong in a way where you're distributed and kind of out flying solo, which is tremendously difficult. Mm-hmm.
0: What is your current people manager situation look like? Like, do you have direct reports right now?
1: I probably shouldn't answer that for one of my teams.
0: That's fair. Actually,
1: <laughs> I um, say,
0: we don't know. It's un, It's un, It's um. It's a secret. It's private. It's private.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can. I can fill you in later. Why? It's um. Yeah. I feel. I'm sorry that I can't tell you more on why. <laughs>
0: That's okay. On
1: the other startup that I'm at, um, we're this loose gaggle of humans trying to prevent the. Boat from sinking
0: mm. yeah well so this is interesting to me too so you've worked in very early stage startups mm. you've also worked in global technology organizations and you've also worked within the military, which as you mentioned is like an institution that's been along around for a really long time. So these are all different kinds of organizations of people doing work together
1: mm. yeah. Certainly. <laughs> yeah.
0: What, what have you observed to be like in your own experience of working with people and managing people? What has been the, the most difficult lesson for you to learn?
1: It was, I think, oh, I think it was, uh, well, I'll tell you what comes to the surface right now is uh, you know, I have challenges with my ego, like we all do. And, you know, I, I want to be seen. I want to be successful and competent, but I think the best leaders and managers, I think you have to realize that the deliberate, as opposed to it being something that happens to you, the conscious choice to become invisible to me feels deeply true, where you want to elevate the people you influence and the people you're in charge of. And it's like praise in public and criticize in private. And behind the scenes be an advocate for their promotion to the next level. you know, I think about the deliberate decision to be invisible, which is totally contradictory to your ego, but it comes but it comes from a recognition that you have a, you have great responsibility as a manager and as a leader and it's no longer about you, it's like being a parent and not that I'm a parent, but from what I hear. It's no longer about you, you know it's about, How can you desire the best for others and try to act on that? For for me, that was hard because when I was just getting my feet wet, you know, I went to military college and you get put in these like simulated leadership environments. I mean, it's not simulated, it's real leadership and management, but it's while you're at school within a student body. And I really had a lot of shortcomings and really, I don't know, I wanted attention and I wanted recognition and I wanted to be seen as a good leader. And I think that can lead you down the wrong path. But I think when you're able to realize that the calling of a great manager and a great leader is to elevate the people either you're in charge of formally or the people you have influence over informally, uh, the joy that comes from that is when you actually make that connection. And to me, it feels like dancing. And it feels to me like, you know, we all have different mental models for describing the world. One mental model is like masculine energy and feminine energy. And for a while, I was really big into swing dancing and salsa dancing and learning how to lead, like literally lead on a dance floor. And, you know, the best followers have this really inspiring expectation that you'll take care of the leadership business. They're not there to make a decision per se. They're there to to build on the base and the structure you've provided to, to, to make the show. And so women who... and and this isn't to get stereotypical per se but it's hard to describe how satisfying that is because when you're dancing with a woman who's really a really good follower who totally trusts like you could just you can feel it in the frame of someone you're dancing with there's women who and men it could be men too right like I'm really trying to avoid stereotype but there's people who even as a follower they're a little bit rigid and they think you're going to do this move and they like move into that move and you're like ah crap like Is it me? Is it them? There's, there's some clashing, but then there's some followers who are just like, I'm so here. Like, let's see where this goes. And you gently nudge them in one direction. Like, Ooh, that feels good. Like, let's see where that goes. And let's see where that goes. And then it's like magical dance emerges. And as the lead, you're just building the groundwork, the infrastructure. Now, of course there's some exceptions, but the follows get the joy of the fancy footwork and the spinning dress and making it just look good. And so I think when you can, when you can be invisible, so does when you can choose to be invisible deliberately, it's easy for one's ego to think that you won't be able to shine, but you shine in a subtler way that is really meaningful and really rich when the people that you're supporting and that you're leading then get to be the star of the show. And you feel like you are lucky to be a part of that
0: love that example (laughs) (laughs) oh that's a fun one
1: and it's 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 a terrible feeling to feel invisible and not seen when it feels imposed on you
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but in make but in realizing the upside in that and making others feel seen and drawing back you realize i don't know it feels noble you know, when you're, driving a sh- when you're driving a ship, you know, there's a ton of sensors on those things. Um, and there's a lot going on. You have to make sure you don't run aground if the area is shallow. You have to make sure that the fluid levels are distributed so the thing doesn't topple over. You have to make sure you know the status of the radars. And, and you, there's a lot going on. And so the kind of the highest qualification you can, you can get for driving, it takes a long time is called officer of the deck, where you're like a representative of the captain. You're kind of running the show. There's nothing more gratifying than when you can, you have probably, it depends on the kind of ship, but you have roughly eight people. One person's literally driving at the steering wheel. Another person's controlling the, the throttle. Another team of two or three people is consistently charting your location. You have lookouts who are using binoculars to augment your electronic sensors. So it's this orchestra. And when you can step back and the orchestra is just performing, you're like, "This is this is amazing." Um, I heard a great quote in college that never left me, which is, "You've succeeded as a leader when your team can perform as well with you as they can without you." That's your job.
0: You mentioned before too, what advice would you give to a new manager? And at the time, just a few minutes, moments ago, you said, "Oh, you know, I'd tell them to just show up." And I'm curious, as we've been talking, what, if anything, else has emerged around the advice that you would give to a new manager?
1: The story that comes to mind, do you know David Goggins? He's like a super athlete, he has ultra marathons and stuff. He's a really intense guy. He's he's on Instagram and so forth. And the reason he comes to mind is Well, I'm going to weave together a couple different stories. There is a book I was reading recently that had such great advice that I wish I had heard like 10 years ago, which is be careful who you share good news with, because some people can see it as a a threat to their relationship with you or, or their career or whatever. And also be careful who you share bad news with, because you don't want to be caught up in gossipers or people who think they're better than you. But the best humans out there only want the best for you. In both cases and so david goggins is this really really talented i think he's he's a former navy seal and i just saw the most positive you know he answers questions sometimes and i think there's a feeling sometimes because of the negative people in our life that people who are successful don't want to see you succeed or like they're hoarding the success or like it's a limited pie And that's not true at all of the best humans. The best humans realize that like your success is my success and my success is your success. Ah, I failed spectacularly as a manager and a leader, and it was extraordinarily challenging. But the moments I think that I learned and grew and had a positive impact made those challenges worth it. And so um, showing up is my invitation because you're going to get knocked down and you're going to ruffle feathers or you're going to feel insecure or you're going to make a bad decision. And it's the showing up the next day and trying again where all the value is to be gained from the experience, I think. And so um, when I was a runner in high school, I was always trying to get people to run cross country. Of course, it was difficult and hard, but that's not where the value was. So I was not interested in telling people how hard it was. I was interested in telling them like how worthy it was and how fun it was and how awesome team dinners were. And the joy of finishing a race and putting all your energy into it, you know? So like being manager can be super difficult, but like that's not to intimidate anybody. And and so I would say keep showing up. Um, And then for your team, the other phrase that comes to mind for me is be consistently present because people need to be able to rely on you not to have the right answers, but to be there with them in the foxhole, so to speak. And to say like, hey, we can figure this out together. Hey, like I have total faith in your skills. I'm lucky to have you on my team and people need, I think, consistent presence in their life of people they're depending on.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your stories and your perspective. I love all of these different nuggets that you've dropped throughout our conversation. And I know that sometimes you also write online and you share Mm -hmm. your thoughts and things. So if any of our listeners wanted to follow you or find any of your writing or if you have a presence online, where would they go? To connect mm, with You. I
1: have very or, little presence. I, you're like no. <laughs> I no no. I haven't written. I have so many unwritten essays inside of me. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't written in a very long time. I don't write consistently as much as I would like to. Okay. But if anything resonated, or if people wanted to connect on anything that seemed interesting, I'm on LinkedIn and I check that regularly.
0: Can you tell us how to spell your name? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, but just so people Yeah, know I mean,
1: you. sure. My LinkedIn URL is just, you know, linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash Hesh.
0: Amazing. I'll and they can send me a, a
1: message if anything is interesting or whatever, I'm happy to connect with people.
0: Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to have you.
1: Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Do you want personal, confidential help with your situation at work? I offer one-on-one coaching and can help you overcome challenges, reach your goals, and become a more effective leader. To schedule a consult, go to my website, kimnickel.com slash coaching, and we'll schedule time to talk about what's going on with you and how I can help. Talk to you soon.